Eagles open their away in the Golden Slipper. There's a great start. And Mick Vitmarskay on the extreme outside is about the first out. Jack Yagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front. Yagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Yagler. This I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the TAB app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019 it was Handle the Truth and last year It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. The last two years in Corey Brown's life have been filled with uncertainty, frustration and unthinkable pain. When the champion jockey arrived at Eagle Farm Racecourse on June the 8th, 2019, it was just another day at the office. A few hours later, he was in the emergency ward of a Brisbane hospital awaiting the results of x-rays and scans. Corey didn't need those results. He knew beyond doubt that he'd suffered spinal injuries when his mount Lord Arthur ran out of galloping room in the home straight in the Queensland derby. He'd hit the ground with enormous force. There had to be serious damage. Before he knew it, Corey was on the operating table undergoing delicate spinal surgery. He'd suffered horrific damage to the T7 vertebra and the T4 didn't escape unscathed. Throw in a fractured sternum and a punctured lung and you've got one pretty battered jockey. Many months later, Corey and his specialists were equally disappointed when it was obvious his spinal column hadn't responded to the stability provided by two long rods and eight screws. It simply wasn't repairing. His frustration was bad enough. The pain was never-ending despite a daily bombardment of painkillers. Corey's chief specialist, Dr Andrew Cree, told him fusion was the only alternative. Fusion from the T2 to the T10. The doctor wanted to operate immediately, but there was one cruel political hurdle standing in the way. Work cover disputed the specialist advice and delayed that surgery for weeks on end. Let's get the unpleasant stuff out of the way right off the top 
as Corey Brown joins us on the podcast. It is great to catch up, mate. It really is. Cheers, Tappy. No, it is. It's great to catch up. Um, it's been a while. It was about a year after the accident when Dr. Cree made the call to perform a spinal fusion. Now, work cover had been looking after you, as expected, right up until the fusion was recommended, but then they insisted on an independent medical assessment. You must have been stunned. Oh, I was really taken back, uh, John. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, like I'd, I'd had obviously Dr. Cree and um, I'd had obviously um, other specialists sort of looking at the scans and stuff like that. But when um, when work covers doctor come back and said that I was, I was good to go back to work and there was nothing wrong with me, I was, I was gobsmacked um, mm. to think that, you know, these guys have been looking after me for such a long time, you know, like within the 12 months and, you know, viewing my spine every, every sort of two to three months with the CT scans and, their doctor come back and told me there was nothing wrong with me. So, mm. yeah, I was, oh, yeah, gobsmacked was probably probably the nicer words of it. Yeah, <laughs> work <laughs> covers independent assessor is obviously not a racing man. They hadn't seen a replay of the fall. No, that's right. No, I, I couldn't believe John. Like even with the um the rods and the screws that are in my back, um and you know like the, it was quite obvious. Even when Doctor Cree was pointed out to me on the um the CT scans that the, the bone just wasn't mending because of mm. you know there, there's a few situations <clears throat> obviously um you know were preventing it from healing. But I just I couldn't believe that their 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 doctor come back and said that there was nothing wrong with me. The bones had mended and I was basically good to go back to work. So. Yeah, I was, again, I was, I was absolutely gobsmacked. Mm. Well, you certainly didn't need the stress of challenging work cover in court, but you went ahead with it. Did you actually lodge an appeal? Yeah, it was actually really weird how it happened, John, because um, obviously the Australian Jockeys Association, they were trying to help me out and look after me, you know, through the work cover, you know, the the, the path that you're normally meant to take. But um, this... The guy that my case officer um, through work cover was kind enough to um, tick me off in a box where you normally have like an in-house um, appeal, um, you know, against their decision. But he uh, went ahead and um, ticked a box where it basically says that I was never to be operated on. Um, you know, and if if I was to be operated on, they'd basically cut their hands or wipe wipe every, wipe their hands of me, mm. so to speak. And um, that's why it ended up sort of going to court. Well, we, we had a court date set. <clears throat> um, it was actually set down for three days, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. And um, we actually didn't make it to court. Um, I <clears throat> rang a great friend of mine, Ray Hadley, and he sort of got, got involved. Mm. And um, also um, Glenn Boss was really, really nice. He he wrote to the Minister of Sport and uh, Racing up in Brisbane, Grace Grace, and sort of got it over the line for me. But uh, it just it should never have got to that. You know, no. it, was, it was just the thing like – they were arguing over something that was pretty pretty obvious. So I didn't pretend I'd slipped down the stairs at work and, you know, I was complaining of a bad back. It was pretty obvious what happened. Like mm. it was there in the Queensland Derby for everyone to see. But um but yeah, anyway, we um we got the operation approved or they, they conceded and um, allowed me to have the operation. So yeah, so um, mm. it was bittersweet, but it was good. Corey, footage of that accident. Uh, was rescreened on news bulletins and racing and sporting programs on television for weeks on end. You mm. couldn't believe it possible. 
No, that's right, John. You know, like, I mean, it, it's – I mean, I, I look back at it now and I'm obviously disappointed. It's not the way that I wanted my career to end. But, um, but you know, I, I always – when I'm feeling sorry for myself, I always think back and think of, you know, the likes of Thai England, which I speak to every, you know, couple of weeks, and I just think, mm. well, I'm walking, so mm. I haven't got a lot to complain about. It's, it's, um, yeah, look, it's, it's awful, but I'm in, a, I'm in, a, I'm in a good place. Mm. Corey, the hardware that was inserted in your back immediately after the fall mm-hmm. had literally come adrift, hadn't it? Uh, this, yeah, this well, was, that's it. Just wouldn't, yeah. man, wouldn't grab. Yeah, well, that's that's actually why it was sort of hurting me for a long while, and I actually thought I'd put it down to winter with the um, titanium plates. Mm. Um, they're probably about, I would say, ten to twelve centimeters long, or maybe a bit longer. But anyway, um, I, I thought it was just the winter time um, with it aching and sort of grabbing every now and again, and it was sort of hurting like quite noticeably. Um, but I thought it was just part and parcel of what was going on. But then when I went to see Dr. Cree, he sort of said, no, that shouldn't be happening, um, not to the extent that it was happening. Like I was – I ended up getting up to about four or five painkillers a day, serious yeah. painkillers a day, just to just to sort of cope with the pain. Um, <clears throat> and then Dr. Cree actually said to me, he said, look, it's obviously um, come loose or there's, there's something wrong. He said, I can't tell 100% by the CT scans, he said, until we get you on the operating table, which that's when he said, mm-hmm. I need to be fused and have that apparatus taken out but mm. he didn't actually tell me but um when he rang kyler to say that i'd come out of theater after the last operation he said that it was an absolute mess he said no wonder it was hurting him oh. as much as it was he said um yeah he said when we when we opened him up well opened me up he mm. said um yeah that everything could come loose and it was sort of rattling around and mm. yeah he said no wonder it was no wonder it was hurting so much because it was yeah it was a mess mm. well that surgery the fusion surgery took a mammoth six hours. And yep. you say you don't even remember the first three days after the operation. No, I'll be totally honest, John. I actually thought with the um, second operation, without the trauma of having the fall and breaking my back, I just thought it would be, I wouldn't say a piece of cake, you know, like I'm mm. not saying I can, you know, endure pain, but I just, I didn't think it was going to be anywhere near as bad as what it was. But um, I'll be totally honest. I, I, the second surgery was twice as bad as actually having the race fall, doing it the first time. Um, he obviously he done a bone graft off my hip. Um, mm. Took basically, a, he, he, as he described, he said uh, a, an egg cup, um, sort of size out of my hip mm. to fuse all my back together. But but yeah, honestly, I, I, bit, I would say not the first three days. I would say nearly the first week um, mm. was, was an absolute blur. Like I just. Mm. Yeah, the pain that I went through is, yeah, undescribable. Mm. Now, you've got some new hardware in there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I started with the um, – <clears throat> and I actually asked him for a keepsake. I said, can you can you give me the plates and the screws that I had in my back, the first apparatus? And, um, <laughs> keepsake. When I, when I, you think that's yeah, the right word? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I look at them now and <clears throat> when I look at the X-rays and scans that I've got, uh, I've got double the hardware now. Um, yeah, see, uh, if you can imagine, it's basically it's about 30 centimetres long um, from a T2 down to my T10. Mm. Yeah, so I've got two plates and now 16 screws. So, yeah, it's it's mm. pretty it's pretty fascinating to look at. <laughs> mm. A keepsake. Corey, everybody's <laughs> different and everybody handles uh, pain and uh, surgery uh, differently to the next bloke. 
Yeah. Uh, but I know others that would have parceled up all that hardware, <laughs> taken <laughs> it out through Sydney Heads and dumped it in the Pacific. Yeah, no, well, I, I, I can't wait to get this, because obviously they've fused it all together um, and obviously never to ride again. But he said, because oh, the cold weather obviously makes it ache like really, really bad. Um, mm. And I said, when, when can I have that taken out? A lot of people will leave it in there, <clears throat> but... um. He said it's. He said I'd like to say twelve months, but he said it's probably going to be more like eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So after eighteen months, I'll be allowed to have the the hardware taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I've got a long way to go. Yeah, by which time, of course, the fusion uh, would have done its job. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he said. Look, he said the bones will normally mend like sort of three months. He said you can start being active again. Um, but he said it'll be twelve months before I actually get back to somewhat more my normal life, you know, as normal Mm. as it's going to be. Um, He said it'll take about 12 months, yeah. Mm. Corey, at what point did Dr. Cree actually tell you you wouldn't be riding again? Um, Look, I'll be totally honest, John. I think it was from the word go. He didn't actually tell me in the words to say that I'd never ride again because I was always really, really hopeful that I'd get back into the saddle. Like I said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give up the dream and the the passion. Um, and but when when the argument started with work cover and um, he said, well, one of the, the guys, my case officer, said, oh, this is a career-ending operation. And Dr. Cree wrote down in his report, he said, it's not a career-ending operation. He said his career ended the day that he fell he? in the Queensland Derby. So that sort of mm. – that really, really hit home for me. Like, um, um, yeah, like I said, I was always hopeful of getting back because I know Damien Oliver's um, got a similar sort of fusion in, in mm. his back. It's nowhere near as big as mine. But, um, yeah, I was always hopeful of getting back. But, yeah, it sort of – it really hit home, I would mm. say, yeah, um, when it, when he wrote that report down when we were arguing to get mm. the fusion done and he said his career ended the day that he fell in Brisbane, it was, mm. that's when it really, really hit home for me. The announcement of your retirement got a lot of media attention mm-hmm. and I guess that was really the moment of reality regarding <laughs> it, the future. It, it was and there's a lot of tears shed, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. A lot of great messages and, you know, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a sad day but, um, yeah, I'd sort of I'd prepared for it, and um, it wasn't good. But it, I, I wanted to get it out there and just thank everyone for you know the support and everything they done for me. So, yeah. but it was a hard day, let me tell you. <laughs> Corey, you've handled everything with great dignity from the moment of the accident. Uh, congratulations on the way you've handled all aspects. You've been a thorough professional. Thank you, mate. No, it's been good. And like I said, I just yeah, I, I want to thank everyone. You know the support and. You know, it's 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 been a it's been quite a ride, and I hope the um the second journey's as good. I was delighted to see you up and about recently at Taree, early in June, in fact. Now you went to the Calcutta on the Sunday night, and you went to the races on the Monday for the running of a race named in your honour, <laughs> the Corey Brown Cup. It was a one thousand metre dash. It was a benchmark sixty six. Grant Allard won the race with Naredva, and that was that's your first official engagement since the operation. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, I, I haven't been sort of to the races. I'd love to, you know, get back, and I'd love to sort of um, show my face a little bit more. But that was my first year. I, I went home to the 
to the Wingham Cup, um, support my hometown. And, yeah, I mean, obviously got yeah, great relationships up there and stuff like that. So it was good to get up there and watch young Reese Jones win the race. And, yeah, no, it was it was good. It was quite a day. He's the apprentice of the moment, Corey, isn't he? Uh, uh, what's your assessment of his likely prospects? Oh, I think he's got a bright future. Um, I think, he, you know, he, he's doing the right thing at the moment. He, he come to town, obviously, a couple of months ago and he's, he sort of hit the ground running, but I, I noticed the last couple of weekends he's been at Newcastle and Kembler and that obviously saving his claim until the start of the new season. But, yeah, look, I think he's going to be, um, you know, he rides really, really well. He's got a good head on him. He's still got a little bit of fine-tuning to do, which mm. is expected for a young kid. But, um, but yeah, no, I think he's got a very, very big future. A fall you had at Kempsey in 1991 <laughs> didn't leave you with any injuries but your yep. dignity was severely bruised because yeah. it, was, it was your very first ride in a race and you finished on your bum yeah. in the home straight right in front of the crowd. How embarrassing. Yeah, look, it wasn't embarrassing at the time, actually. We touched we touched on this the other day when I was up in uh, Wingham at the Calcutta and stuff. They got me up obviously doing a talk and it's funny, you know, you, you – Jockeys, you know, in, you know when they get sort of introduced to racing, they normally tell you that they rode their first winner, their first ride, and stuff like that. But obviously, my story is a little bit different. I um I passed the post on my bum, um, the horse, <laughs> the horse that uh, yeah broke down, and um yeah, so I had a race for my first ever ride in the race. But it was quite quite funny. I'm well, not funny. I wouldn't say it's funny, but it, by all <laughs> means. But um Ross Stitt was there at the um the Calcutta the other night, and when yeah. we we're talking about it. Um, obviously a young kid I was only 15 at the time and um, I've always been proud of my gear like I've always kept me saddles and you know everything about my gear I love mm. but um, Ross Stitt was running under the fence and telling me to sort of sit on the horse's head because it had broken its leg and mm. I was trying to drag it up and get it off my saddle because I, I didn't want it to scratch my saddle and you know it was just <laughs> <laughs> even Ross Stitt he, he laughed because he remembered it happening you know but it, yeah. yeah look it wasn't a what it wasn't a great introduction into racing but um but yeah no it was yeah it's it how I started. It was only a week later you rode your first winner on the same track, Warwick Park at Kempsey, and yep. the horse was called Another Square. Yeah, no, I've fond memories, actually. I remember it vividly. Um, you wouldn't believe it. I actually went home to um, Mavis Dodd, the trainer, Bob Dodd, who obviously gave me my first winner. Mm. He passed away some time ago, but um, I, I couldn't get back to the funeral. But um, Mavis, uh, she passed away here about, I reckon, four weeks ago. So, mm. um I went back to her funeral, paid the respects, but um, good but yeah, you. no, fond, mm. fond fond memories of another square. It was um, yeah, it was good. You're from a long line of jockeys. Your grandfather was an amateur rider. Yep. Your dad Jack rode a lot of winners on the Northern Rivers and a few in town. Yep. How's Jack going? He lives on the Gold Coast now. Yeah, mum and dad are up the Gold Coast. Actually, dad's not doing great. He's um, he's got um, that the cancer. It's called silicosis. It's um from cutting uh, stone because he's a stonemasoner mm. in his second half of life. But, um, yeah, look, look, they're going okay. Um, yeah, they're chugging along. They're doing the same thing. <laughs> you talk to them a lot? <laughs> yeah, every oh, now that we've got the grandson and they've got the group chat, um, so mm. every day basically I'm sending them pictures or videos of something of Wolf. So, yeah, no, it's, um, we remain in yeah, very close contact. 29 years of race riding. 
You were not far short of 3,000 winners and more than 50 Group 1s if you take a few overseas Group 1s into account. We can't mention every one of them, mate, but let's analyse the ones that gave you a special thrill. Now, you'd run second on Shocking in the Kunji Handicap. Mm -hmm. You ran second on him in the Herbert Power Handicap. Yep. Somehow Michael Rod got on him in the Lexus Stakes on Derby Day. How did that happen? It's actually really – look, I, I don't like to blame jockey managers, but it was funny because I, I run third in the um, in the uh, Caulfield Cup on Vigor mm-hmm. for Denny O'Brien, and my manager went and straight away took the ride, and I'd already planned to ride shocking in the Melbourne Cup. It was, it was a long plan between Mark Kavanagh and I. Mm. And as you said, I've been riding up until, you know, the, the week before. And my manager went out and took the ride straight away on Vigor after I run uh, placing in the Caulfield Cup. But he was so far down on the list, um, I knew he was never going to get in. So I rang Mark and I said, look, please don't take a ride until the Saturday night uh, rider. Mm. I said, you're going to get – because it was a lightweight and I can ride sort of any weight. Mm. Anyway, as the story goes, he said, well, you're not riding him on the Saturday, so I'm going to put Michael Rod because he was the stable rider, but mm. Michael Rod couldn't ride light. So yeah. Michael Rod, I think, rode him. I think it's called the Lexus or – Yeah. Yeah, um, he rode him in that race. But it was so funny. It was by default um, how they how we learnt to ride the horse on that Saturday. He wasn't going around, you know, having a look, but he was just going around like, you know, as a pipe opener. Mm. And he told Michael Rod – to, he said, don't release the horse until the 200. He said, I don't want him to have a gut-busted run before the Tuesday. But mm. every time I'd ridden the horse previously, he told me to take off on him at the 600 or the 700. He said he's got no <laughs> turn of foot. Yeah. So on the Saturday in the Lexus, Michael Rod held him up until like the two or 300 and mm. then let him go. And he actually he had a great turn of foot. And I even said when I took the ride that night, I said, Mark, that's that's definitely the way to ride this horse. No. I didn't give him a great ride in the Melbourne Cup. I was mm. the only horse that travelled three deep the whole way. But um, but yeah, look, he he's uh, he he was a great horse, John. Not just to win the Melbourne Cup, but if you go back and watch his Australia Cup win, yeah, you know, twelve months after that, that for mine was you know like one of the most satisfying wins. Mm. Um, you know, the Melbourne Cup was as well. But I'm just saying, as a horse and you know, a jockey to get on a horse like that was just amazing. Mm. Yeah, I know you liked him and he was very good for your career. Going back to that 2009 Melbourne Cup, it was run at a pedestrian pace. It was a stupid cup, really. And you were three wide, but you had cover, didn't you? Yeah, well, it's really – look, going past the post the first time, obviously I drew really bad. I think I drew 23 or 22 or something like that. But um, going past the post the first time, I was three deep. But I I just thought that the normal would string out and – the speed would, you know, get going a little bit after the winning post. But they sort of all banked up and it was just ridiculous. Like everyone was yelling at each other. And I was the only horse mm. watching the replay in the race other than the leader that was actually happy. You know, like I was, he was flowing along, he was breathing well, he was in a mm. good rhythm. And then at about the 900, because of the slow speed, everyone started to take off at about the 900. Well, crime scene, the horse that runs second to me, Godolphin's horse, he got popped out three and four wide. And the moment it did, I, I just sort of sat on his back and he just took me everywhere that I needed to go. Like it was just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a pretty ride, but it was just, uh, I was probably 
the only horse in the race that was happy and comfortable, flowing along, breeding well, covering more ground than I should have been. But um, like you said, it was pedestrian pace and it just worked out perfect for me. You had a wonderful carnival that year in Melbourne, <laughs> 2009. You won the Cup on Shocking. You won yep. the Victoria Derby on Monaco Consul. And yep. you won another group one, the Cantala Stakes on All-American. Yeah, it used to be called the Emirates Stakes, but, mate, it was it was a, a week. Oh, look, you know, you could only better buy one, and that's to win the Oaks. Mm. Um, but, honestly, oh, yeah, it was just a week that, yeah, you'd never forget. Honestly, it was, yeah, I, I, I look back at it now, John, and think, gee, you know, like I've, nev- I've never seen any other – jockey do it but um mm. i'm just saying like it's just yeah i look back at it now and think gee, it's it's pretty freakish really to win the derby the mm. cup and the emirates like the the mm. four the four major group ones and i won three of them yeah you did win a victorian oaks previously didn't you i have yeah um on um arapaho miss for pat mm. carey yep. yes yeah, so, yeah no i've I've won the big four in melbourne uh, i've won a cox plate or a caulfield cup i've placed in both of them but um mm. it's not to be <laughs> Let's look at the 2008 Melbourne Cup. You <laughs> went agonisingly close on a horse called Bauer. You were beaten yeah. a pimple, an absolute yep. pimple by viewed, and mm-hmm. it took them an eternity to put the number up. What did you think when you hit the line? Oh, look, I, I actually thought I'd won, um, but, you know, at the time, obviously, Letsy was working for Channel 7 on the pony and you know it's the first thing you do like at Flemington over that week if you know you, you sort of if you're unsure of what's going on after you pass the post you sort of hover up near Letsy and see what's going on but um the moment that I I, I sort of got near Letsy and I seen Blake Shin throw his hand up in the air and I just I was I, I could have cried to oh, be honest yeah. I could have absolutely cried because I'd obviously had a few you know goes in the race and I'd placed before and I just thought oh well maybe it's not meant to be and yeah, for that for the next twelve months, um, that nightmare of watching that replay, and mm. I even had a guy come to me at the Gold Coast Magic Millions meeting, um, sort of a couple of months after, and I was rushing to get into the jockey's room, and he asked me could I sign a photo, and mm. um, I said yeah, yeah, no, get it, get it out, and I'll you know sign it because I was in a rush, mm. and he pulls out the photo of the Melbourne Cup when I run second. I said, oh mate, please, I said <laughs> I can't be signing that. I said that's like asking Anthony Mundine when he's knocked out on the canvas to sign a photo. I said, <laughs> Exactly. So it's just not it's just not happening. So it was yeah. yeah, so that so the next twelve months was just an absolute nightmare watching that replay and mm. um thinking, you know, what could have been and mm. but then to come out the very next year and win it was just yeah, it was yeah. The weight off my shoulders. You've been around the money several times in the Melbourne Cup. Go back to two thousand and two, you ran second on Mr. Prudent yep. behind Media Puzzle mm-hmm. and you would have been the villain had you beaten the winner that day. John, it's probably the only – it actually gives me shivers, as you mentioned. It, um, it's probably the only race that I was more than happy, you know, to run second. It was just with what went on with Damien and Jason. I obviously mm-hmm. knew Jason well. Um, but that week or the three or four days leading into the Melbourne Cup, to, to run second, that was just like um, – yeah, it was, like, it was like a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was like I said, it's giving me shivers now just to, even talking about it. It was – yeah, yeah um, it was one of those races again. That mate, I, I, mate, I was more than happy to run second. It was just, yeah, it was great. I did a podcast recently with the veteran Warwick Farm trainer Paul Cave, good yep. mate of yours. <laughs> and you know, Paul was telling me the day Lahar 
Dead heated for third in mm-hmm. Rogan Josh's Melbourne Cup, nineteen ninety nine. He puts that down to this day as the greatest moment in his life. Oh. You rode his mare when she dead heated for third. That was another great story, you know. Like not un- not only like to run third to dead heat, but um, two days before she couldn't, she could barely walk. She yeah. um, you know, they she was so. She was one of those mares that she's always – she wasn't broken down, but she was just always sore and, you know, like she just – you know, John, I never ever want to race. I finished second in the Dooman Cup, um, third in the Melbourne Cup. I think I run a placing in the Sydney Cup on her, but I, I, I never actually want to race on her. Hmm. Um, but she was one of the best horses for my career um, yeah. that I – made. I, I remember her, like – Vividly, and I've got a great photo hanging up in my office um, of mm. myself and uh, the late um, John. He, mm. um, he won the race on Rogan Josh. No, 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 the owner. Oh, Johnny uh, sorry, Marshall. Johnny Marshall. Johnny Marshall, yeah. Uh, and we're clapping hands. It's one of the best photos ever. Um, yeah, as we're returning to scale, like I was congratulating him. Mm. Uh, he, he won the race, and obviously I run third, but it's one of the best photos ever. Mm. Cora, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We'll just clear a commitment on the podcast. I want to talk to you about a couple of other Melbourne Cups in which you participated. Back with Corey Brown after this. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to Classic Legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes at Rosehill Gardens. Not long after, he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, GTRA ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 England premier sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and GTRA get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th. Now the Melbourne Cup ride you'll never forget is the one on a three-year-old called Arena in 1998. <laughs> you all but killed yourself yep. to ride him at 47.5. You finished down the course and it took you a fortnight to get over it. Oh, it took me a month to get over it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget it because he, he, um, he won the derby on the Saturday with Larry Cassidy um, on board and I was riding for the Hawks team at the time. And I'll never forget it. John come into the jockey's room and he put me on the scales because there's obviously not a lot of jockeys that could ride light. Mm. Um, and he put me on the scales and I was obviously much younger at the time and I was 50 kilos and he said, do you think you can do it? I said, I'll do it. I said, there's mm. no drums about me doing it. And, um, yeah, I'd done it, but it near, near killed me. <laughs> oh, I remember, mate. You looked awful on the day. Yeah, no. I, I look back at photos now and I just think, 
well, it was my first ride in the cup. So, like any jockey, they'd give their give an arm or a leg to ride in the cup. So that's mm-hmm. basically what I've done. <laughs> Here's another cup placing. 2011, you rode a German horse called Lucas Cranach, and he ran third behind two incredible old horses, mm. Duna Den and Red Cadeau. Yeah, amazing. This horse, John, honestly, he, he was a little bit the same. Um, we talk about learning how to ride horses by default. This horse, he, he would have won the Melbourne Cup that year, but he was um, he had a cracked heel. And what the what the vets and the farriers done to get him into the race was absolutely amazing. He had basically like a a shoelace of wire mm. in the back of his heel to hold it together. Good um, and like they had like obviously the the hoof filler or whatever you call it. I don't know, but um, mm. for him to finish where he did, and even Lee, if you ask Lee Freeman or the owners. Australian bloodstock, they'll tell you that it was an incredible effort. He, he was one of the toughest horses I've ever ridden. He, he had the biggest attitude. He was a tiny horse. He was small, mm. but he had the biggest, biggest heart and the biggest attitude you've ever seen. He was amazing. Your second cup win was in 2017 on a horse called Rekindling for the remarkable young trainer Joseph O'Brien. When did you know you were riding that horse? <laughs> It's actually um, my manager, Paul Webster. He um, he's got a lot of contacts over in England. He's actually Australian born, but he's um, he grew up in England, and he's got a lot of contacts. And he, I reckon, it would have been <clears throat> three months before the Melbourne Cup, a good two and a half months before the Melbourne Cup. And he said, "There's a horse nominated for this race." He said, "It's a three-year-old." He said, "Northern Hemisphere horse." He said, "But I'm telling you," he said, "the horses that it's competing against." He said, "It's." not winning, but he said it's running against some amazing horses. Mm-hmm. He said, I think you should get yourself on it. And I, I said, oh, who owns it? And he said, it's um, – I thought it was actually um, Coolmore. Mm-hmm. Well, it was started Coolmore owned, but then obviously Lloyd Williams had purchased the horse. Mm-hmm. So I rang Lloyd and Lloyd says, oh, look, I'll, I'll put your name forward. And I, I wasn't happy with that. So I sort of went the back door and got in contact with the O'Brien camp and – uh, they said, look, we, we've got to leave it up to Lloyd. Um, and I just said, look, my me, me resume is not too bad. I said, mm. I've won one cup and I said, I've placed in a few of them. Anyway, um, less than 24 hours later, Lloyd rang back and he said, no, they're more than happy to have you on. So, yeah, mm. it, was the, it was the first and only ride that I rang for mm. um, for the cup that year. It was great. Mm. Well, mate, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to. <laughs> that was one of the greatest rides of your career. I looked at mm. it again recently on replay and uh, nobody has ever ridden in a Melbourne Cup with more skill and more judgment than you did in that year. You didn't even start nudging off the fence until the 500 metres and yeah. then you put him in exactly the right spot for the run home. Took him a little while to reel in Johan Vermeer, didn't it, in an all O'Brien finish. It did. It took him. It took him a little while, but I was always really, really confident. Um, obviously, I had 50, 51 kilos on his back. Um, but it was so weird, John. That that whole meeting or the whole week at Flemington at the time, you had to be on the fence, or you couldn't be any wider than three, three off the fence. It was just like dynamite on the inside. And I was following Zach Pert, another good friend of mine. He was on um, Zach. Is it Zach Dynamite? Um, Max, anyway, Max, Max, Max Dynamite, yeah, and yeah. It, I was following him the whole race and I, I knew exactly what he was thinking, Zach, you know, he just wanted to be near the fence, he wanted to stay on the fence 
And at about the 600 metre mark, he, he, he sort of got a, a tiny run inside. And the moment he dove in there and just sort of pushed himself up into where there's, there wasn't a lot of room, but he was just banking on, you know, holding the fence. Mm-hmm. And I, the heavens opened up for me. I just got on the back of Hartnell and mm-hmm. just come around them. And it, yeah, it was, mate, it, it was just meant to be. That's all it was. It was just meant to be. Everywhere I went, everywhere I pointed the horse, um, the runs appeared. And it was just, yeah, again, it was meant to be. And lovely scenes in the enclosure after the race with Kylie <laughs> and the kids, uh, r- touching scenes that went all over Australia. It was great. Like I said, you know, you, you don't very often, you know, in the sport or the career that you have, you get to enjoy it, you know, like with the family and stuff like that. But that, that day for me was probably, yeah, it was the best day, not just to win the cup, but just to have the family, you know, the girl, all the three girls and the wife there, you know, mm. to enjoy the moment with me. It was, yeah, it was it was great. You never sat on rekindling's back again. <laughs> no, I well actually I'd never even seen the horse until I viewed him walking around the enclosure five minutes before the race. Um, I actually contacted Joseph and I tried to go out to Werribee and just have a sit on him, just to you know to to try and bond with him or you know get to know the horse or. Mm. Um, and Joseph said, "No, there's no need." He said, "He's, he's, you know, he's, he's an easy ride." He said, "He's, you know, you don't need to work him out." So yeah, it was, mm. it was quite. <laughs> it was again, it was just meant to be. Like, like I said, I first time I ever seen the horse in the flesh was when I was viewing him walking around the enclosure with my saddle sitting on his back, and yeah. I had basically five minutes to bond with him before the race. And yeah, he, he was an easy ride. He was he, he, great character. Um, mm. Obviously, very, very tough. Um, but yeah, again, it was just meant to be that day. Did you follow his career after that? What became of him? No, he actually he um, he, he had a bit of a. They said that he he went in the wind. Um, he went out to Lloyd's Farm. Um, mm. But yeah, he basically yeah never raced again. So yeah, mm. quite disappointing. Um, mm. But yeah, no, he he got what they wanted anyway. May I take you back to a magical day in two thousand and three? <laughs> when you rode four winners at Randwick, three of them were Group Ones. Yep. The Epsom on Clangalang, the Flight Stakes on Unearthly, and the Spring Champion Stakes on Niello. And the other win, the fourth one, was a listed race on Zanna. That had to be your best ever single day, surely. Oh, without a doubt, John. Mm. Um, you know, like I, I look back at, you know, the things that I've done and, you know, the, but that day will always remain my best day, I think, in racing. Like, mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. I walked out to the enclosure um, and the owner of Clangalang, Damien, he's, he is quite a big punter and he was mm-hmm. sort of like really, you know, upset with what I'd done before because I've won the two group ones before. And when mm-hmm. I went out to get on the horse, he was sort of blowing up that, you know, and I said, well, the Clangling doesn't know that I've already ridden two group ones. I said. <laughs> and it was so weird because he was never even mentioned in the call um, yeah. and it was the last sort of 75 or 100 metres that he sort of busted through the pack and mm. charged through the wind. But, yeah, no, that's definitely, without a doubt, my my best days of, you know, best day of racing. Now to the horse that you grew to love almost as much as the Australian racing public, <laughs> the charismatic flashy and immensely talented Apache cat. I don't think you'd ever ridden a horse for Greg Urell until you rode him in a Cranbourne barrier trial one day. I'd never I'd never ridden a horse. Uh, or I'd never ridden for Greg. Um, no. 
and I'd, I'd recently obviously moved to Melbourne to ride for Lee Friedman, and it was so it was so weird. It's right place at the right time, John. Um, a good friend of mine, Michael Rod, um, he was he was sick, and he he'd been booked to ride the horse. He'd been riding the horse, and I wouldn't say I was the only jockey, you know, without a ride. But um, when I heard that Michael Rod was sick and the Lightning Stakes was coming up. And I didn't have a ride in the race, so I we contacted Greg and I said, "Mate, I'd love to ride this horse." I said, "Obviously, you know, seen him and know him well, um, but I said I'd love to sit on his back." And he said, "Yeah, you can ride him." He said, "Michael's obviously not riding." And mm. my first five rides on the horse were five Group One wins. <laughs> oh, no. So unbelievable quintet: the Lightning yeah. Stakes, the Australia Stakes, the TJ Smith, the BTC Cup. And the Doombin 10,000. Did yep. you have a favourite win out of those five? Um, I would say his win at Mooney Valley would be my favourite. But reason being, John, mm. he, he, he's a great horse to ride, but he he give you a false feel between the 600 and the 300. Or, mm. you know, he, he'd hit like a flat spot and yeah. it was scary because you didn't know how he was going. Mm-hmm. And then he'd just end up motoring through. But uh, he, when when he was going through those flat spots, it, it was actually really, really scary for a jockey, you know, because you, you just don't know what they're going to do, whether mm-hmm. they're going to pick up and come up underneath you and charge to the line. But he always did. But it was just when when he was going through that flat spot, it was actually scary. But his Mooney Valley win, um, when he hit the flat spot, obviously short straight, and I really panicked. I just said, oh, did mate. You? Yeah, I just thought this horse is, you know, it's not his day today. But, mate, within three or four strides, he just come up underneath me and he just really charged the line. But that was probably the most satisfying win out of all of them, I think, yeah. Mm. Around the time of Apache Cat, you accepted a retainer from Lee Friedman Mm -hmm. and you were to spend 18 months at his beautiful new training complex on the Mornington Peninsula. You won something like 100 races for Lee Friedman during that association. Yep. Oh, mate, look, Lee and, Lee and I, you know, opposites, but um, <laughs> but it was just great. Like, he, the time with Lee was just, yeah, it was not only an amazing place, the Mornington Peninsula, but just to learn from him, you know, like he, um, he doesn't give you a lot, but it, it's amazing when you step back and you you walk away from the relationship or the, the partnership that we had, um, how much I learned, you know, from Lee. You know, it was just, yeah, I, I can't describe it, but it was just, yeah, 18 months of, yeah, just absolute learning and, mm. you know, it was great. I loved it. Mm. There was the odd disagreement, I take it. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not the easiest of guys to get along with. Um, we, we definitely had our arguments. Um, but, again, you know, like it's a little bit like writing for John Hawks, you know, like they're, they're so good at what they do, um, mm. but they, they tell you how it is. You know, you learn from it and it's all – you know, it's yesterday's news, so to speak. You know, yeah. they don't dwell on anything. They don't carry on with it, but they, they tell you how it is. And it's exactly how it should be. You know, like if, if mm. you're done wrong, you, you cop it on the chin and you, you roll on. But um, but I'll always say that they, them two guys that I rode for, Lee as well as John, mm. they always had your back. You know, like, it, you know, you know, a lot of trainers or a lot of people, you know, if you had a bad ride, you'd lose the ride on the horse. But mm. I always knew as far as Lee and John were concerned, you know, like you put in a bad one, but you knew you were on the horses the next week. So mm. that was a good thing. Well, you and Lee had a much publicised split. But yep. just to show what a 
fickle, funny game this is. Blow me down. Later on, he puts <laughs> you on a Group 1 winner in the Metropolitan, horse called Speed Gifted. Did yeah. that come as a shock when he called you? There's actually, I mean, I, I could sit here for hours, John, and tell you, you know, what went down and how it happened. And it was just really, really weird. It was it was because of it. At the time, Lee didn't have really a, a carnival horse, and it was leading into the spring carnival. And um, I was offered the ride on a horse called Maybe Better by, um, uh, God. Was it Brian Mayfield Smith? Brian Mayfield Smith, mm. yes. And I, I, we didn't have to ride work at um, Lee's place on a Saturday morning, so I went to Flemington and rode work for Brian Mayfield Smith. And Lee, as it turns out, and we've worked it out since, but Lee thought that I was sort of branching out and, you know, didn't want to ride for him anymore and I was uh, putting the feelers out. And I, it wasn't that at all. It was just the fact that I went to Flemington to ride this horse that I'd been booked to ride over the spring. Mm. And Lee, yeah, Lee took it the wrong way. But anyway... Yeah, that's that's done and dusted. But yeah, look, we 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 definitely had our blues. Let me tell you, mm. Corey, you got a hell of a thrill not too long ago when invited to represent your country in the Shergard Jockeys Challenge at Royal Ascot. A very proud moment for a little bloke from Wingham who hit the deck at his first race ride. <laughs> it was a proud moment. You know, one of my biggest regrets, I look back at it now, John, and I, c- I could get the photo, but there was myself, um, Frankie Dettori and Lester Pickett in the mm. jockey's room and they took a photo of us. And um, it wasn't on obviously my phone, but I, c- I could get the photo of it. It was one of the probably, you know, one of the most proudest moments for me, you know, to go over there and represent your country and, I, I didn't have any luck on the day, but um, but it was just it was a great thrill and competing with those sort of jockeys from all over the world. And, you know, you, you you ride with sort of those jockeys in the big races, but to go over there and compete on that day, uh, the whole day is set aside for a jockey challenge. It's not like a normal jockey challenge where it's only two or three races. This whole day, there's like eight races that are set aside for this whole jockey challenge. So it was yeah, it was a big thrill. Mm. You seem to be adamant that exceed and excel. Yep. is the best horse you've ever ridden. He only twelve career starts all up. He won seven, and mm-hmm. you rode him in three of them. A new market, a royal sovereign, and the Group One Dubai Racing Club Cup at Caulfield. What a magnificent looking horse, Corey! It's no surprise that he's become a superstar stallion, is it? Yeah, look, he, he's obviously he was sold for a lot of money to to go to stud uh, for Godolphin. But um, he, he's he, he would have been an absolute like if he had been a gelding, he would have been like a takeover target or something like that. Like he, he was just one of those race horses that mm. um, his racing career was cut short because of stud duties. But he he was a machine, John. Like I, I've never ridden a horse. I've ridden good stayers, but as far as sprinters go, um, Apache Cat was good, mm. but exceeding Excel would have licked him, mate. Honestly, he mm. he was a he was a freak. Your media involvement began with Sky some years ago <laughs> when you co-hosted a weekly program called Off the Rails, hosted by Greg Radley with Malcolm Johnston uh, as a much learned panel member. <laughs> and there was more frivolity on that show than there was serious stuff. <laughs> it was actually, it was, it was a good laugh. Like I look back at it, you know, and it become a thing like, we loved the show and, you know, everyone would yell out, we love the show, like, because I was obviously still riding. Mm. But um, 
even when I went to Singapore, John, it was quite funny. I was walking in this shopping centre and it was like four levels and I was on like the third level and two levels below me, someone had recognised me and yelled out, we love the show, Brown. It was just good. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah it, was re- it was really weird. But I, I, I love the time. Greg Radley, Malcolm. Malcolm's obviously the reason that I actually got to Sydney. Um, mm. I idolised Malcolm as a kid. Mm. And um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was good, good banter. Mm. It certainly was. <laughs> I had the great pleasure of joining you on the panel one night, and I never got a word in. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. I loved it. You've worked for Racing.com and you've worked for Channel 7 uh, on their Melbourne Cup coverage. You took to it like a duck to water. Yeah, look, I don't mind the the media, John. Um, it's, yeah, I'm, look, I'm not saying I'll end up sort of doing that, but I, it's, yeah, it's something that I don't mind it. It's it's good. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've learnt to talk over the years, obviously riding horses and coming back and explaining to owners and stuff like mm. that, so... Um, the game, I, I love the game. I've got a real passion for racing. Like even now, Kylie, she gets sick of me turning on Sky Channel and watching the races, you know, any, any day of the week, I'll just have Sky mm. Channel on all day. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a passion. It's a passion. Well, I know you're not even thinking about a career direction at this stage because you're putting your total focus into strengthening that back and living yep. a normal life after a shocking accident. Yeah, no, like my full focus is just, yeah, just getting back to somewhat normal, um, just, yeah, as becoming as fit as I can be and having the back as good as it can be. So, yeah, total focus on that. Corey, there are many reasons uh, I was disappointed to learn that you won't be riding again, and one of them is simply this. Somewhere along the line through my website or podcast, I was going to give you a nickname, and I still can't believe... Uh, that somebody hasn't come up with it before this. I was going to christen you the Wingham Wonder. (laughs) Great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Because it says it all, mate. You you are a wonder as a bloke and you were certainly a wonder as a professional jockey. Congratulations on all you achieve, Corey. Thank you, John. It's been great. Thank you. Lovely to have you on a podcast produced by C1.